0: This is Philip Meyer, welcoming you to another episode of Talking About Platforms. We present and discuss relevant discoveries from the field of platform research.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel Trebuchchi.
0: In every episode, we have a
1: guest sharing with us one of his or her latest papers on platforms to make it
0: accessible for everyone. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation. Say hello to a new episode of Talking About Platforms. Today, our guest is Joost Riedfeld. Hey, Jost. Hey. And of course, my regular co-host, Daniel. Daniel, how are you doing? Hi. Hi, hi. All right. Uh, some introductory words about Joost. Uh, Joost Rietfeld, Rietfeld, Sorry, um, is an assistant professor in the Department of Strategy and Entrepreneurship at the UCL, University College London's School of Management. He's there since 2018. And prior to that, he had an assistant professor position at the Rotterdam School of Management. And um, his research interests are at the intersection of technology strategy and innovation management. And uh, when it comes to research about platforms, uh, Justus is uh, doing exciting work um, in the fields of platform competition, um, platform complementary relationships. That's also what we are mainly talking about today, and uh, multi-sided business models. Daniel, with this exciting guest, what would be your first question?
1: Thank you, Philippe. Uh, you know, I'm I'm quite boring with, with the starting question. It's always the same, but the answers, fortunately, still continue to be different. So, yes. First of all, welcome here and. Uh, As you know, here we talk about platforms and we've got people that in the life usually talks about platforms, but uh, platforms, well, the word platform has not the same meaning to to all the people that actually use it. So the first question and also the first curiosity would be what is a platform to you? And if you wish also telling us something on uh, how you get in touch with the world of platforms, how you enter there.
2: Yeah, sure. And uh, first of all, thank you guys for having me. It's exciting to, uh, to talk about platforms and also something that I like to do. Um, so I, I think my, my first answer would be quite boring. And then maybe the second answer will be a bit more exciting. Um, so when I think about platforms, I, I think about them in a fairly standard, multi-sided um platform definition that, that that comes from kind of an economics background so I, I tend to think about platforms as um as products or services that are connecting two or more user groups distinct user groups who are connected via an indirect network effect um, the platform helps to facilitate interactions and transactions between the two groups um, um, because the two groups would otherwise have issues kind of either interacting with each other or transacting with each other. Um, and so then the the, um, the platform primarily then has a, a function of creating a price structure that entices both sides to join the platform, but then also would have to um, kind of regulate and facilitate uh, how interactions Take place, which would also include kind of um, structuring innovations, um, pricing models, um, and and generally just interactions between the two sides. And I think this is pretty—it's um, a pretty pretty standard uh, definition. Now onto the exciting stuff. I'll tell you how I got into um, thinking about and now talking about platforms. Um, so after I graduated from my masters, I started a job at a video game developer in the Netherlands, um, as a strategy and marketing manager. And um, so I was initially responsible for kind of like strategy and helping promote our video games. Um, But the studio was kind of transitioning from a work for hire model where they were kind of making games, um, that were paid for by big publishers to a self-publishing model where the video game developer wanted to bring their own content onto digital platforms such as the iOS app store, uh, WeWare, um, a bunch of other platforms. And, and so I, I helped with the transition and I then I helped release some of these games. Um, and what we quickly realized is that the success of our games was very much dependent on the platform um the platform promoting us uh, the extent of competition on the platform um the extent of us integrating features that the platform thought were important um and 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 so when i then realized that i really enjoyed doing the research part of it um uh, this kind of emerged when i was writing the business plan for this uh, digital publishing subsidiary um i I thought I should know more about this kind of this dynamic. I, I want to know more about kind of how these platform and platform markets affect the success of the content that's being released onto them and kind of from the, the implicit assumption that those dynamics differ from dynamics in a regular market where you do not have a platform sponsor that kind of acts as a an orchestrator or a regulator, if you will. So that's what got me into uh, thinking about and and then writing about platforms. This is um, very very interesting, very exciting.
0: Also, when it comes to the piece that we are going to um, talk about today, which is
2: not about video games, which is not about
0: video games, but about the role of um, the complementer uh, or like how how the the platform sponsor can. Uh, orchestrate complementary behavior uh, up to a certain degree and uh, the title of the piece is uh, Market Orchestrators uh, the effects of certification on platforms and their Complementers." it's written by Joost together with Robert Siemens and Katja Megiorin is this pronounced correctly (laughs) kind of Um, it's published this year in strategy science and uh, Joost please give our audience uh, an overview of of your exciting work
2: sure and i should note that the paper is published under an open access license so everyone who would like to know more about the paper after listening to the podcast can grab a copy for free from the publisher so so this paper um this paper is part of kind of a, a stream of research that i'm doing on kind of how uh, the platform's governance strategies kind of affect the complementers um, that are active on the platform, right? And so um, one of the primary tasks that the platform has is setting this price structure where typically they overprice one side of the market and they underprice the other side of the market, but that's just the start of it, right? The platform really has to manage its ecosystem um, and, and there's a lot more to it than just setting a price structure. Um, and, and one of the mechanisms that um, I've identified as very interesting um, is kind of the selective promotion of complements or complementors, um, which is also referred to as certification. And so, what this is is on many platforms that we that we that we um, as consumers are active in these days, there is some sort of selective promotion going on, where the platform highlights certain products or certain sellers. Um, that the platform thing um, are of high quality and are important to uh, the platform ecosystems. All right? So on, on Spotify, you have these curated playlists that are put together by Spotify. Um, on, on video game platforms, you have these um, platinum uh, re-releases. Um, and in the context of Kiva, which is kind of the empirical setting of, of my paper, um, you have uh, social performance badges. And so in all of these cases, the platform kind of Puts a stamp on on either a product or a firm on the platform, and and it really kind of attracts end users because you know there, there's typically a lot of um, a lot of sellers and a lot of products on platforms, and so it's hard for consumers to kind of make up their mind which is which is a high quality product, which is not, um, and so so it does that, but it also helps with kind of a horizontal differentiation where again the platform says we think this type of content or this type of seller is particularly good. Um, and, and in an earlier work, I, I identified that the selective promotion is very strategic. Uh, the platform has motivations for highlighting certain products or sellers um, rather than others. Um, and, 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 and in this work, I wanted to understand: okay, if uh, a seller receives a certification or a selective promotion, how does that then affect their future behavior on, on the platform? And, and kind of our our idea going into the study is well if i am being rewarded for say um having um, in the context of kiva having a lot of female borrowers in my portfolio of loans then maybe once i'm being rewarded for that I, i see an incentive to increase the number of female borrowers in my loan portfolio um, because apparently, this is what the platform think is important. And also, this is probably what will attract more, um, in this case, lenders to my, my, my products. Um, so that's what we set out to do. And, and Kiva was a really nice setting to do this, because um, in December of 2011, Kiva kind of unexpectedly introduced um, these badges to its ecosystem. And, and some of the Um, Firms, microfinancing institutions in this case, received badges and others did not. Um, And so it was kind of a nice shock to the system with a before and an after um, and some microfinancing institutions getting a badge and others not. And so that, that really allowed us to kind of track what happened to those microfinancing institutions who got a badge after they got a badge compared to those who are comparable but did not get a badge. And so what we find is that they indeed adjust their loan portfolio. They they will have a greater share of female borrowers after they get a batch that rewards um, having female borrowers in your loan portfolio. And then we also look at some kind of boundary conditions to this effect. Are there uh, limitations that will lead some microfinancing institutions to have a stronger response to the platform's promotion than others? And, And what we find is... Uh, First, if you get multiple badges, your response is less strong because as a microfinancing institution, you then have to kind of divide your intention over these multiple badges. And so maybe not only you need to increase or you want to increase the number of female borrowers, but maybe you also want to increase loans that are rewarding innovation and entrepreneurship. And so your your attention is spread thin, um, if, if you will. Um, so microfinancing institutions who get multiple badges have a weaker response in terms of readjusting their loan portfolio. And also we found that microfinancing institutions who who have a very specialized portfolio of loans, m- meaning that they are active in only one or a few industries, um, also have a weaker response to receiving a badge because we argue they will have to dig deeper to find Good loans within that industry, um, from in our case female borrowers, right? And so, so, so microfinancing institutions with loans spread across multiple industries um, find it easier to adjust their loan portfolios than those with highly specialized loan portfolios. Um, and so, from from the platform's perspective, this has implications, right? First, we show that a selective promotion has an effect; it, it triggers. A behavioral change by complementers on the platform, and second, there are some li- limitations to the extent that complementers can respond to these incentives, and so that then gives some some insights for platforms in terms of who they should promote if they want a strong response. I think that's the paper in a nutshell.
1: Thank you very much, Yost. It's very interesting, and it's actually going in in one of the direction that I always highlight when I'm talking about platforms (laughs) with someone. There is this kind of idea, especially for those people that look platforms only as users from the outside, that the platform is actually just connecting the dots, just connecting the sites, And and that's it. Well, your study is is one of those, those ones that are actually highlighting the actual role of the platform in creating value. In this case, we the certifications, the badges, and, and so on and so forth. But the fact that the company is actually doing something to make the transaction easier, more meaningful, or whatever it is. And thinking about this, um, well, I thought back to a couple of things that happened, and I would like to, to know your opinion about it. A couple of months ago, Twitter decided to, to ban in those days, president of the United States States of America, which which was uh, uh, Trump. And just yesterday, um, YouTube decided to ban some content on on its own platform regarding the the kind of movements against vaccines for COVID-19. And it's something I don't have a clear opinion on. So what's your opinion on on this kind of uh, actions and positions? that platforms are taking lately regarding what is happening on on, on their platform.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, right. So I think um in our field in, in, in kind of like management science or management academia, there is this increasing notion of kind of the orchestrator, right? The ecosystem orchestrator. And I think it's a bit of a a buzzword, um, but, but, you know, there's definitely something to it. And I think with our study, we show that there is an actual act of orchestration taking place, right? The platform does something and then it has a very um, uh, tangible effect on the products or the, the type of products that are being offered on the platform. And so, so, so yes, platforms are orchestrating and I think kind of, to your question, they also should be orchestrating, right? And um, it's not just enough for a platform, I think, to facilitate a marketplace because you know they, they they are so much more. And also our lives are increasingly ingrained in these platforms that I think they've become too important to just leave them to their own fate and and just facilitate the market and then see what happens, right? I think they 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 both um should be orchestrating for the sake of enhancing their own value creation and value capture, but they also should be orchestrating for the sake of kind of societal benefit. Um, again, as we become more and more dependent on these platforms um, and also um, as more bad actors are entering these platforms. Now, I don't want to get political, so I, I'm not saying that President Trump is a bad actor, but there's certainly a lot of bad actors on. Uh, platforms particularly social media platforms these days right the, the wall street journal just released um, their facebook files which is a, a, a really long-term investigation into facebook and apparently there were a lot of bad things happening on play on facebook including um, human trafficking or at least facebook facilitating some of that that really bad behavior um and then you know in, in some sense the facebook uh, the, the platform then faces a bit of attention because human traffickers are also complementers in that sense and so they, they they create interactions and so for the platform there there is some incentive to keep them on the platform because if they have more users and more interactions then they might have more ad revenues but clearly from a, a societal perspective and for the kind of the the, the well-being of of every day users they they should act against those bad actors and remove them for, from the platform and so i think it's good to see that platforms like YouTube and Twitter are, are, are really taking an active stance in kind of banning bad actors and bad behavior uh, from platforms. Um, and, and, and so I would agree with you. It's an act of uh, orchestration and, and definitely an act of governance. And I think down the line, it will contribute to a healthier ecosystem. And so it should benefit the platform as well. In your opinion, yours, also in this particular
0: case um, with, with Kiva, what are the, the like the, underlying motivations of of the the platform firm to orchestrate uh, right so in the like the the case of banning some content uh, it's it's the one side but if you're promoting different actors you want to steer the whole uh, like ecosystem in a particular direction so is it mainly like like monetarily driven do they want to uh, increase for example the, the, the liquidity so the number of transactions on the platform or is it more that they want to shape it in a particular like value driven direction so what is your, your experience on that in that particular case and maybe in general
2: yeah so in, in general i would say it depends right it depends on the platform and it depends on the particular um, governance strategy that you, that you would be um, evaluating so i did another study where we looked at kind of how um, governance evolves as a platform becomes more dominant, and we compared four different platforms: um, uh, Kiva, uh, the iOS App Store, um, Steam, and Kickstarter. And, and what we found in that particular study is that the governance differs across those four platforms, um, in part of a, in part as a function of their their for-profit kind of orientation, right? So, so, so Apple is much more of a profit-driven organization you know they're listed they are uh, they have shareholders they need to generate profits whereas Kiva is a um is a non-profit organization and and so they they have their own um objectives and they have their own mission which might not necessarily directly um be uh, geared towards um let's say capturing value and i think that's reflected in Kiva's um Promotional strategy um, with these social performance badges, right? They are literally called social performance badges, and so they're, they are they are aimed at increasing the social performance of the microfinance institutions that are on the platform. So I, I will say that this selective promotion is very often driven by the platform's objectives and, and driven by the platform's strategies. Um, in the context of Apple, for example. Um, when I was still working for the game developer, we quickly learned that if Apple um, updates at iOS and there is a particular feature in iOS that Apple think is important, say, for example, um, in-app purchases, then um, the apps that would get featured um, or apps were much more likely to get featured if they had in-app purchases because it's in line with what, what Apple wanted to push um, for its for its ecosystem, right? And so, um, with Kiva, it's social performance. Um, and our specific focus on um, this family uh, community empowerment batch, um, um, which promotes loans by women, is, is very reflective of Kiva's objectives. Because uh, Kiva learned that loans to women have a multiplier effect. Because if if, if these if women get these loans, it empowers the women. But also if they um, have any kind of gain from these loans, they are much more likely to reinvest those gains in their families or in their own businesses. And so it, it would not only benefit the women directly, but it would also benefit kind of their, their communities um, if those loans are successful. So that badge is very much in line with Kiva's objectives as a non-nonprofit organization and particularly kind of having the biggest effect with their loans. But it's not to say that those that that those particular loans are the best type of loans from the microfinancing institutions' perspective, right? Very often a microfinancing institution is a for-profit organization. And we didn't test this, but we 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 briefly touched on it in a discussion of the paper. You need to be aware as a complementer what the objectives of the platform are, and, and know that they are promoting from that perspective. And you need to kind of assess the extent that those objectives align with your own, if we're not saying that they don't, but if loans for female borrowers are are not optimal from a for profit perspective from from microfinancing institution you you need to kind of make that trade off for yourself as a microfinancing institution like do i want to readjust my loan portfolio because the platform wants me to uh, versus is is this what's helping me generate the most profits um if that's my objective right so the, so there might be discrepancies between the objectives of the platform and 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 their their promotional strategy and uh, the complementary objectives. And so I think that's a a really interesting tension that we um, should pay a bit more attention to as as researchers.
1: When you enter uh, with such certifications or anyhow uh, with something concrete in the management of one of the two sites, you might generate various effects. On the one hand, it, it may have a negative or anyhow not so positive effect on the other complementers that are not certified. You may create some sort of biases that generate the flows and so on and so forth. Since you are studying exactly this kind of mechanism, I was wondering if you are talking to a, a platform manager or someone that is creating a platform, do you think that this kind of mechanism should be there from the beginning? Should enter at a certain point? Do you have any idea on on this?
2: Yeah, in fact, I do. Um, so there's a couple of thoughts that, that that came to mind. So so kind of to your question specifically, in in the other paper that I, the other research project that I did, where we kind of studied which complements are selectively promoted, we we indeed clearly saw that. Um, platforms uh, might wait first for a while before kind of rolling out such a program. And they might also avoid promoting um, at times when there is a lot of new complements coming onto the market. And so there's kind of two sides to this, right? So on the one hand, um, I think as you alluded to, if you promote one complement or complementor that that attracts a lot of demand to that particular complementor, and it might... Lead to some negative effects for for similar complementers that are losing business because of that, right? So if if consumers' uh, time or money is finite, they will only spend their money and time once, and so if they're spending it on a promoted complement, then they're probably not spending it on some other complement, and so it, there there could be, in that sense, a negative externality um, in a sense that it takes away business from some complementers and and. And, um and, and and pushes it to the ones that are being promoted. Now from the perspective of the platform this this might be exactly what they what they want right they they want to shine a light on these promoted complements or complementors, but they should be mindful of the fact that the, of the effects that this may have on competition. And so in the other project where we look at which which um, games are promoted, we find that platforms are more likely to promote, when there's fewer new games coming out and so the potential negative effect on competition is is less is weakened um also um we find that they are that they are more likely to promote later in the life cycle of the platform because you kind of first want to let the dynamics play out you want to see which which of your complementers are doing particularly well which are some of the trends that are are doing well with consumers and then maybe at that point you want to kind of Amplify those 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 positive effects by by starting to promote. So um, and also you may want to um kind of direct consumers that are new to the platform to some of the products that that were already on the platform and, and that are of particularly high quality or importance to the platform. So so that's kind of something to take into account from the platform's perspective when you're when you're designing such a, a promotional program. I will also say that it it does indeed have very tangible effects on kind of the dem- the demand side on the platform so in in the kiva paper we we um, we measure this um specifically so we, we look at okay if you are being promoted does that increase the the, the amount of money that um, lenders are um, giving to your loans does it increase the number of lenders that this microfinancing institution is able to attract? Does it increase the amount of money per lender that uh, a particular microfinancing institution is able to, to to attract? And the answer to all of the all of those questions is yes. So if if you get a badge and you direct you you change your behavior on the platform in accordance with that badge, then you generate more money for your loans. And so there is a there is a a, a, um, a, a very um, real effect or a real consequence to these promotions. Furthermore, what we also see, um, we did not measure this with kind of econometrics, but what we observe is that the platform as a whole seems better off after the introduction of this, these, these promotions. Um, so after Akiva introduced its social performance badges, we, we see that overall the number of uh, lenders and the amount of money that is being um kind of um um allocated onto the platform increases Um, and this may be as you also alluded to uh daniel uh, uh, as an effect of kind of increased trust on the platform right so if if the platform kind of certifies a microfinancing institution then uh, um, uh, a lender might be more confident that their money is in good hands That's to the to
0: the point of these uh, microfinance institutions, because I think this is a very very interesting part uh, in this piece, and th- there's more like research to to be done about that because the interesting thing is the the microfinance institutions are like in the piece and also in my understanding the complementers while the complement itself is the project that is proposed by another third party um so my question to that would be. Like what's the role of having these local complementers um, in the like, context of these different projects like, that, that really are on site with the, with the project partners that offer the, the potential complements on the platform? So how's like Kiva setting up this network of local partners in different areas?
2: The, the fundamental kind of um, piece here is that these microfinancing institutions are ultimately responsible for making sure that these loans are repaid and are responsible, are, are, and, and they make kind of these proactive choices about kind of who and what should be in their loan portfolio, right? And, and so as a, a, a lender and an individual in a developed country, maybe you, are not, you or I or someone in, in the United States, there's a lot of uncertainty about these loans because you don't know the person. They're very far away. Um, you don't know the microfinancing institutions, and there has been some scandals in the past about kind of corrupt micro um, microfinancing institutions. And so, kind of the role of the platform becomes so important, and kind of the role of of certification becomes so important because you know you're lending out your money. There is no interest that you're making on, on your loan. It's mostly for kind of philanthropic or altruistic reasons that you're making the, these loans. But you would like your money back eventually, right? And so, so kind of having this platform kind of points to particular microfinancing institutions through these badges and then also kind of signaling what these loans might be good for, right? So either promoting women or promoting entrepreneurship or some other reasons, is is a very helpful tool for for uh, lenders who are very far removed from the complementor and 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 the complement that they are offering. I guess more more broadly, so so more broadly in the context of Kiva, there is a lot of research on Kiva that kind of looks at kind of um, the greater the distance and also the greater the cultural distance between the the, the lender and the borrower, the harder it it the, the less likely. It is for a loan to get funded. And so, so these, these distances are real and they, they have an effect in the context of Kiva. Kind of more broadly in the context of platforms, I, I think there's is, there is a lot more research to be done on kind of the role of, of location in digital platforms. Um, I'll, I'll make a plug for Wesley Koo's paper in SMJ, who looks at um, uh, uh, a, a Chinese e-commerce platform um, and and the platform making a governance change to its platform, and then kind of the effectiveness of that governance change among complementers is strongly dependent on the geographical location of the complementers, because those that are further removed and in more rural areas find it harder to kind of get the information that they require to to fully understand the governance change, right? And so I think there's a lot more that we can do as kind of platform scholars to understand the role of geographical location in the functioning of digital platforms.
1: Thank you Jost so with the, with the last thing you were saying you actually moved naturally towards uh, our last question. At the beginning I asked you how you entered in the world of platforms. How what brought you there? How you how you uh, reached this uh, your path in studying platforms. And now you were saying we need more research uh, regarding where platforms are, so the local dimension of platforms. And before, you were referring also to the role that platforms have in our society. And this is becoming more and more evident by some of the cases we were mentioning before, but more broadly, looking at the news, we know that something is changing. So even though we cannot foresee the future, and I guess you don't have this great power as well, what's your opinion regarding the future of platforms? So what's the next big deal? How do you see platforms in the future? Whatever comes to your mind regarding what may happen on what we are talking about.
2: So yeah, I don't have a crystal ball either. So all we can do is, is speculate. So I already touched on kind of the role of geographical location and and, and geography in the context of digital platforms. So that's something that I would like to see more research on. What I think will happen in um, kind of in in, in the broader context of platforms, I think there's a lot of interesting um, frictions at the moment, right? So the the topic of regulation is being brought up um, a lot. Um, There is uh, increasingly... People are questioning whether platforms aren't becoming too dominant, whatever that might mean, right? So um, and and I don't think it's a question of whether there will be regulation, but more when there will be regulation and what type of regulation we will see. And so I think that will be very interesting to keep an eye on, and obviously that will have implications for how these platforms um are, are being managed and kind of the dynamic between the platform and the complementer. And also the, the regulations by themselves could. Create interesting kind of shocks that, that we could um, exploit as researchers. Um, so that's something I'm really interested in, interested in, generally also kind of in the in the context of platform dominance. I think we're increasingly starting to see that that particularly complementers are unhappy with how dominant platforms are uh, behaving towards their complementers, right? And, and the most obvious case that is the kind of the epic versus apple and epic versus google cases that are um that have been in the news a lot recently um and and epic together with some other high profile complementers have created a coalition for app fairness where they they really what i think what i really trying to do is kind of make a bigger fist by kind of banding together um because that's that's i i think one of the the big frictions, right? So platforms are big and dominant and then complementers are more dispersed and smaller. and so it's, it's difficult for complementers to to, um, to to kind of keep platforms accountable or for, for them to, to make them change their behavior. But uh, again, there is increasing dissatisfaction among complementers in many platforms. And so I think we will start to see more of these frictions between complementers trying to kind of fight or change the behavior of platforms yeah no, i i think i'll i'll give my, my 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 last kind of suggestion we need to know more about complementers right so there is there is a handful of dominant platforms there are millions of complementers uh, there's still not a whole lot of research on what makes complement successful how complementers are affected by the dynamics of the platform itself and so this is obviously a, a huge plug for my own research because i'm doing a lot in in this space but I, I'm doing research in this space because I think it's important and I think we need to more know more about it. So would encourage researchers to to kind of flip the perspective and take complementary dependent variables as their their, their, their interest rather than platform level dependent variables. Um, and, and by doing that we will further enhance our knowledge of, uh, of platforms
0: yeah, thank you so much. I cannot add too much uh, to this great great outlook. I think you you touched many, many, very, very interesting uh, points and and topics. And also like your uh, like affinity to uh, the games industry is one that uh, is really, really interesting because uh, I think the the game companies are on the edge when it comes to inventing new dynamics being it uh, like a metaverse inside like uh, a game or uh, also really trying to kind of disrupt the dominant platforms with their new models being it uh, nfts uh, that are implemented in like collectibles uh, within games and trading these uh, collectibles within games so i think there's a lot to come and i think there will be a lot that you are will or will contribute in the future and the last question would be if someone is uh, interested in learning more about your work, following your work, uh, getting in contact, what's the, what's the best place to, to follow you?
2: So we, um, we have a recent review paper that looks at, at kind of the, the, the platform competition space um, across different fields um, in, in management, marketing, information systems, and economics. The paper is, is published in, in Journal of Management, but we also have a companion website, which is platformpapers.com. Um, And so if you, um, if you, if you want to know more about research on platforms and you want to have a repository of papers published on platforms, then I think that would be a great place to start. You can uh, essentially browse the entire compendium of papers on platform competition. You can filter by field, by, by, uh, by topical theme, uh, and you can also see some, some data visualizations in terms of how the field of platform competition research has evolved. So that's one place to start, and for me personally, um, my website is strategyguide.nl. Um, right, so Strategy Guide. The Strategy Guide is a guide that you use as a as a young gamer if you're stuck in a game, but it's also something that um, I, I I attempt to do with my research. Right, I, I try to guide companies in their strategy by what I do. So strategyguide.nl. Or you can find me on the social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, by uh, looking for G.J. Rietveld, my initials and my last name. Um, Thank you so much for coming, Joost. Just the best for for everything that's coming for you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a a, a really um, entertaining conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you
0: for listening to this episode of Talking About Platforms. To support our work you can rate the episode or leave a comment on your favorite podcast app
1: and don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't miss out to the coming episodes if you want to look up at the papers we have discussed or other topics we addressed visit talkingaboutplatforms.com there you can find the show notes and get in
0: touch with us until next time when we're again talking about platform